most people think of mediation's purpose as settle the case, but it doesn't have to be that. Yeah. You've learned a whole lot along the journey of mediation going down the road. And although you end up on an exit ramp that doesn't get you to your destination, you've learned a lot about who you're riding with. Welcome to The Defense Never Rests with Morgan and Akins, your monthly dose of uncommon sense about all things legal and some that are not. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of The Defense Never Rests. I am your host, Megan Henry, and today I'm joined by Elliot Herland, who he's a mediator um, out in Minneapolis area, but he is not only coming out to talk about mediation and the important things he looks toward mediation to have a successful mediation, but also his, his windy path to where he got to really a career that is his passion. So with that said, let me bring him in. Good morning, Elliot. Thank you so much for joining me this morning on The Defense Never Rests. How are you this morning? I'm fine. Thanks for having me on your show. I'm so happy to have you. And, you know, for for our listeners um, tuning in, uh, Elliot has a mediation company called Herlin Mediation Services, and he's here to talk about, you know, mediation tactics and what works and what doesn't work. But before we get into, you know, the nitty gritty of mediation, let's get to know you a little bit. Um, you are not a lifetime mediator. You started off as a litigator, right? Yeah. When I graduated from uh, William Mitchell, now Mitchell Hamlin, back in 1984, uh, I went into litigation and uh, realized that I am not a litigator. I'm not a fighter. Uh, I, I just uh, found that I enjoyed uh, mediation and deal making much more. And, and so I saw in myself who I was and where I could be most comfortable and where I would enjoy it, you know, because as a litigator, there were certain parts of the job I enjoyed and there were certain parts of the job that I just, I dreaded it. I totally dreaded it. And uh, waking up at night trying to, <laughs> you know, oh, did I miss a, a deadline? Do I need yes. to do this? Uh, all sorts of different worries. Well, with mediation, I get a lot of joy out of mediation. Yeah. Well, and I can share that um, feeling. I've, I've woken up many too many too many nights at you know Saturday morning at three o'clock in the morning, and you jolt up in bed, and I check the court dockets, worried that I you know forgot to file a response or something something like that. I mean, I I do think that's unfortunately part of part of the whole litigation process. Despite how organized you may be, you just always have that underlying fear that you know you're forgetting something. And the defense side with the billable hour pressures uh, and it's hard to have a life balance. And it's really, uh, now I, I was on uh, the plaintiff's side, although that was until 1997. And then I became uh, the person in the middle. So I got to know uh, both sides pretty well and had a lot of conversation with the attorneys about their experiences, about their pressures, about their ability to balance life with work and avoid that burnout or yeah. experience the burnout. 
Yeah. And unfortunately, I mean, it, it is a huge part of, um, I think litigation and just being a practicing attorney. Um, but I think, I think it's getting better. At least I feel on my, my end, I think as I've become more experienced and, um, and I guess as I have a family, I've learned to how to balance things a little bit better than I did when I didn't have children. I think. I agree. That's so important. Uh, and, and you mentioned family, and I should tell you that I started off in family law. Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, at, after a number of years of doing that, I realized uh, and, and came to the senior partner and said, if I have to do another family law case, <laughs> I'm going to quit. I, I'd rather do workers' compensation because broken bones heal much faster than broken hearts. Yeah. I need to get away from this. It's driving me nuts. Yeah. And, and was that senior partner receptive to that? Oh, immediately. Oh, good. He, uh, he put me into many continuing legal education courses, partnered me up with a, a more experienced work comp attorney and uh, took off from there. Well, that's great because I think, you know, that as a young associate, that it could be a very difficult conversation to, to have with like a, a senior management, you know, because you, you'd be worried that you're cutting off your, your, your line, your line of work. I mean, if you're getting a steady stream of work in one way, you be concerned that if you speak up like, oh no, like now am I going to be on the chopping block if I'm suddenly cutting off my food source? I was ready to be chopped. <laughs> Was. <laughs> it was like, I have nothing to lose because I am not going to do another family law case. So I was ready. Uh, you move me or I really am. I'm gone. And I think that the senior partner recognized that I was ready to go. Yeah. And for whatever reason, they decided to keep me. And well, I kept going until I realized I just don't like to litigate. <laughs> well, let's let's back up a little bit because everyone has a different story of how they they became a lawyer and decided to go into this this field that has so many options. Mm -hmm. um, but what was your path? Was it a direct path for your parents' attorneys, or you know, did no. you walk down a rambling road? Uh, no. Uh, in fact, <laughs> my father was a doctor, and from the age of five all the way until I got to uh, St. Olaf College here in Minnesota, uh, I was gonna be a doctor, just like my dad. <laughs> and I realized uh, after organic chemistry that I was not gonna be a chemistry major. <laughs> and after invertebrate zoology, I just was not gonna be a biology major. When my math professor told me that if I intended to go on into math, major uh, courses that I would be flunked. And if I agreed not to take another math course, she'd give me a C minus. And it's <laughs> like, I'll take the deal. See, I started deal making right away in college. So uh, at St. Olaf, you only need three more courses after taking all the required religion courses. And uh, so I did, and I uh, finished a, a religion major and 
didn't really know what to do. So then I finished a philosophy major. That's also bad. didn't know what to do with that. <laughs> so my sister was going to be taking uh, the LSAT. I looked over her prep stuff and thought, hey, I, I could do this. So I, I took the uh, LSAT. I did all right. Um, and then I went to law school, really enjoyed law school, really liked it. Uh, my dad got over it. <laughs> well, I mean, if he knew that you you were struggling with the with or, organic chemistry and and math, I think he probably should have understood. <laughs> uh, you no? don't know my dad. <laughs> uh, he uh, he had in his mind that I was going to be practicing medicine with him, and oh. he he eventually decided that that I had made the right choice but yeah. at the beginning he was pretty disappointed well it's uh, funny I was pre-med as well and, and, yeah and a math, I actually was a math major so I didn't I didn't have the same struggles some same struggles with math as maybe you did I was like the opposite but I do remember organic chemistry was like a, a big slap to the face when you first took it but I, took, I eventually got the hang of it I, I took that uh midterm and <laughs> I got a passing grade and I had no idea how I got a passing grade. It must oh, I know how. On a curve. <laughs> yes, but I know how. It was a curve, on a curve. <laughs> I, I explained this to my kids last weekend. I was like, because my, I think my older daughter is like, mom, have you ever gotten, you know, a, have you ever failed anything before? I was like, well, <laughs> technically, Yes, because I probably got a 45 on organic, organic chemistry exam, but then the curve, then I got an A minus. <laughs> yeah, thank God for the bell curve. Because <laughs> otherwise, I, I don't know if I'd even have a BA, let, let alone a JD. It's so. a very hard concept to explain to kids, too, because I'm like, well, like there's this one person who got a 95 and then the rest of everyone else averaged out at a 35. So if you got a 45, you really got an A. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and even then I only got a, a barely passing grade. <laughs> I enjoyed college quite a bit. It was in the 70s. So I'm sure you understand. It was a lot of fun. Plus yeah. I was a DJ. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I was. <laughs> so is that is that a talent you've carried forward? I just uh, well, I, I'm a bass player in a band, mm -hmm. although we haven't had a gig now for over a year because yeah. of COVID. Uh, but uh, have I, I really enjoy uh, music? Yeah, that, that is one of my joy generators as well. Mediation, music, walking, uh, my children who are all in their twenties now. Yeah. Well, another thing that I, I don't want to forget to bring up about that you're also an Eagle Scout, which, oh, yeah. you know, is a huge accomplishment. That is years and years of, you know, dedication and, and hard work. And then I was, uh, for my son, I was also the uh, Cub Master and then the Scout Master. Yeah. And I, re I really enjoyed that too. Uh, and then once Evan... Uh, got his Eagle Scout, and then became uh, an adult. Uh, I stepped back. I was an Eagle coach for a while, helping boys that, uh, young men mm -hmm. that I knew uh, get their Eagle. But eventually those guys would 
time out. I, I wonder sometimes what it would have been like if we had, like they now do, just scouts of America where it's uh, young men and young women, mm -hmm. at first boys and girls. Uh, I, I wonder what that experience would have been like, but I did enjoy uh, camping. Uh, you know, when I was a litigator, I can recall going out to camp for the week and I would feel the stress melt mm -hmm. away as I entered the refuge of the woods. And then I was so happy to be there and, and uh, help everybody with whatever projects they were doing and helping with my parent leaders who were also helping in a variety of ways. Uh, and then once camp was over, as I was approaching the city, I could feel all the stress sinking back in. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. And, and, you know, that is something I think so many people struggle with and, and a reason why many people leave practice for, you know, a, a variety of different um, avenues. And, but I do think that is something that is very significant about having the law, a law degrees. Cause you know, you don't have to be a practicing attorney. You don't have right. to be a litigator to use that degree. You just have to figure out what is the best way to use it. Right. It works for you. And some people it's becoming a coach. Some people it's, you know, owning a business, it, you know, it, there's all different avenues that you can go down. It's just figuring out which one Absolutely. is the best one. Uh, for, for some, it's uh, selling cars, <laughs> <laughs> which is not a bad profession if you know how to sell a car. Every career has a certain talent, certain skill set that you bring to the table. Uh, for me, mediation uh, was a skill set along with being a scout leader and a musician and all the other facets that make you who you are. Uh, and it's important to not forget those other parts. I yeah. mean, if you find joy as being a claims adjuster or uh, an attorney, I, I wonder sometimes if claims adjusters, when they realize, hey, I wanna be a claims adjuster, I can't imagine a five-year-old saying, I'm going to grow up and be a claims adjuster. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I have this conversation a lot with, uh -huh. with a lot of guests and, and even talking to people on the phone before they come on or just chatting. And it, it is, it is hard because it's not something that you grow up knowing about really, okay. it, it, nor do you really grow up knowing about the vast opportunities that are in, in the, in insurance. Most people grow up thinking insurance is, you know, ins the insurance salesperson, you know, right. and, and I think it's becoming more common now that, you know, colleges have courses and majors and stuff that are, are catered towards being an insurance professional, but it, once you're in there, the opportunities of advancement are, are so wide Absolutely. and large and, and the compensation is also can, can grow quite a bit. So it's exactly that. Like, yeah, I don't think many people say, oh, I want to be a claims adjuster. But then when you graduate college, you know, and a career path might be open for you. And it is such a strong career path with like a, a lot of stability and a lot of different companies to go to if you don't like the one you're at. <laughs> I think the insurance industry has to do more public relations yeah. in, the, in the schools to help uh, those 
kids and young adults uh, learn more about the opportunities of being a claims adjuster so that we're not all thinking doctor, lawyer, fireman, policeman, that those types of oh, cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> Those types of things that kids think they're going to be. Yeah, we don't have any. We don't have any aspirations for cowboys in my house. I, I, we have an engineer and you know singer. <laughs> I, I, I'm pushing the engineer route over the singer route, but. <laughs> well, my son is in HR. I mean, I, I can tell you, he did not grow up saying, "I'm going to be a human resources specialist." <laughs> But he loves it. He loves it. And, and I have a daughter who's uh, becoming a doctor of physical therapy. I mm -hmm. uh, have another daughter that's uh, going into the uh, field uh, of special education, specifically with uh, children on the autistic uh, spectrum. And, and then I have a graphic designer who's finishing up at uh, Iowa in Ames. So, uh, yeah, I, it's fun to see where the path leads to these kids. Uh, yeah, and, and that brings up an interesting question. So when, you know, looking back to your kids when they were younger, did you see some of these talents when they were younger and just not realize like how they would be placed later especially like like your, your, your I think you said it was your son or your daughter who's a graphic designer like I mean that daughter, that involves daughter. that involves you know at least some degree of artistic talent. <laughs> so that Very must have been good. something you you saw early on. But I mean, these career paths, was it something that, you know, now you're like, oh, it makes sense that this, this is where they are. You're absolutely right. Uh, with Evan, he was very good at working with people. And when he was the senior patrol leader, uh, he faced the challenges of managing all of these people's people in their different roles. Uh, uh, Taylor was so caring about uh, children that would have struggles. Uh, I mean, she's got a huge heart. Uh, and Lauren, uh, with physical therapy, she was a runner. Mm -hmm. uh, she still is a runner. And she had some difficulty with some pain in her shins, went to a physical therapist, got so much help that she just like, hey, I'm going to become a physical therapist. That was her passion yeah. that led right out of her, her enjoyment of uh, sports. Mm -hmm. And then Katie was, uh, she was always drawing. She would play this game on the computer called Sims and she would design houses and, and have all sorts of stories. It, it was, it was fun watching them yeah. develop their skills and find their way. So perfect segue into you finding your way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so so you, you're a litigator for years and then you decide to make the change, but what really was the catalyst that you're like, okay, like I, I have to change. I have to get out of litigation. I got to start something new. And you decide that, you know, mediation is, is what it should be. So, yeah, I, I'm doing now uh, work injury cases. Uh, and I go to the Department of Labor and Industry on, on many of these cases, dealing with the mediators and watching how they 
respond to the different personalities, uh, sometimes claims adjusters, sometimes attorneys, sometimes the contractors, sometimes it's the injured worker, sometimes it's the lawyers themselves that bring the challenges to the mediator. And I, I like when I was in college, I could see myself being a DJ. So there I am in these mediations and I could see myself being a mediator. So I called one of these people, uh, Kevin, at the Department of Labor and Industry, and I said, Kevin, do you think I could be a mediator? Well, yeah, I think you could. So uh, there happened to be a job opening uh, there, and I, I interviewed for it. Uh, they made me an offer. Uh, it was much less money than I was making, but it was in an area where I could actually enjoy uh, what I was doing. So I took the financial hit so that I could do something I enjoyed. Uh, I, uh, then I took the course in mediation. Uh, I started building a practice with the people there because uh, it, mediation at the state is free. So the business is pretty good. <laughs> uh, when you can get it for free. And uh, then uh, I decided uh, I was given an opportunity to go to the collectively bargained system, which is called the Union Construction Workers' Compensation Program, became the dispute resolution facilitator. At the same time, I had this side gig, uh, Herlin Mediation Services that I, I also started in 04. So from 97 to 04, I'm at the department. I start the side gig and start at the union construction program. Uh, and then when I turned 60, I realized if I want to keep doing this into my later years, even after retirement, doing a few cases, because I enjoy it. Why wouldn't I do it? Why wouldn't I make money at doing something that I really enjoy? So uh, I made the program one of my clients uh, and, and I get a good amount of business from my former employer. Uh, and then I had all these attorneys and claims adjusters that I got to know since 1997 all the way to uh, now. So I let them know mm -hmm. by <clears throat> all sorts of different ways, by email, by mail, uh, by uh, LinkedIn. I got, the, uh, by Facebook, I, I got the message out that I was doing my own practice. And I, I, I find that uh, not only do I get to do the things that I like, and I don't have to do the things that I don't like, like database entry. <laughs> uh, and, and that was a really nice thing, because now I had more time to do the other things that I enjoy, like walking is something that I really yeah. enjoy. That, that is the challenge too, right? Like you have to have you know, when you're getting started, you need to have people come to you to agree to mediate with you. So you have to have a, a, a reputation that someone's going to trust you. I mean, I know, you know, 
on, on my end, you know, I get, you know, I'm talking about mediation with opposing counsel and they send me a list of mediators and immediately I'm thinking, if I don't know them, I'm thinking, oh, well, they must be best friends with these people and they're trying to pull a fast one. So you send the, you send the names to everyone at the firm and you say, you know, do you know these people? (laughs) And, and you're very unwilling to try out someone new, um, because it's an unknown and, and that, that's a challenge, you know, for, for someone in your position, if someone doesn't know you, it's hard to like get more business unless people talking and saying, Oh yeah, yeah. You got to use Elliot. He's great. I used him. He's great. Blah, blah, blah. But it's hard. Well, and when you're an older guy like me uh, (laughs) and you're involved in a very small bar, there are a lot of people that do know you. Mm -hmm. Uh, For those that don't have as much experience, it's good to get involved. Like uh, I'm involved with the American Bar Association in the role of uh, vice chair of the membership committee of the dispute resolution section, specifically in student and early career outreach. So we have programs where people can come in and talk to other mediators that have uh, more experience and different types of backgrounds. And and that's a way to do it. But an important thing for me to remember, uh, and one of my uh, attorney friends, uh, Norb, Norbert, but we all call him Norb, uh, I took him out to lunch uh, during the Work Comp Institute. And he said, so what about your uh, website? I said, well, Norb, I don't need a website. Everybody (laughs) knows who I am. And he put his finger on his lips and he said, Elliot, this is when we're still in person, right? Before the pandemic. Do you see all those faces in the audience there? And the Institute draws a huge number of not only attorneys, but also the claims adjusters. I said, sure, yeah, you recognize a lot of those faces, right? Yeah, what about those faces you don't recognize? Mm -hmm. Uh, And and most of them are younger than me. They they have had no experience with me whatsoever. He said, it's important that you understand these people go to Google or whatever (laughs) search engine and they type in your name. And if you don't have a website, well, you don't exist. If they can't find out who you are, you you don't exist. You're not. You're, why are you on this person's list? Right. But if you do have a website, and it's very important to use someone that actually knows how to develop a website, because I do not have that skill set. So spending the money on creating a website uh, that that will inform the the person looking at the website, who you are, what your experience is, uh, and uh, the testimonials. LinkedIn is another really good way for people to get to know who this person is that is being proposed to be a mediator. And then the next step is when they come in for a mediation, you got to do a good job. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's an important step. <laughs> because if you don't do it, I mean, there are certain times where you're a little off. And uh, although you might accomplish whatever it is that parties are trying to accomplish, and it's not always settlement. 
mediations are sometimes used for other reasons. But uh, whatever the reason is, even though you're not really on your game, uh, you get it done. But you want the attorneys and the claims adjusters and the, and the other parties to the case, they're the ones that are supposed to shine. You're not supposed to be the smartest person in the room, but you have to do a good job of mediating. Mm -hmm. uh, there's so many different aspects to being a mediator that you have to understand and, and help the parties understand so they can give you what you need uh, and so that you can reach that goal and be and do a good job so that the people that don't know you to say oh yeah Elliot he's he's okay I'll use him again right right and like I I've had definitely have had experiences with mediators that you come out of there and if your client is unhappy with the mediator that's not good and it's not good for you and it's just it it reflects I think poorly on, on me if if they don't like the mediator and if we didn't get the job done it's just like well man now we you know <laughs> we came here we spent money and now my client has a sour taste in, the, in their mouth um so i mean it's yeah it's it's a challenge <laughs> it is and mediations uh sometimes don't settle and sometimes it's for good reason and it's important that the parties walk away from the mediation that didn't settle feeling as though they accomplished what they needed to accomplish in that process. Uh, and then settlements, you know, people talk about win-lose uh, and lose-lose and win-win, and they, they say that win-win is so rare. Actually, it's not. Both sides have a compromise. Both sides really don't get what they want. But what did they really want? In most cases, yeah. if they want a settlement, they wanted to avoid the cost and expense of litigation. So although they didn't get all the money they wanted, although they may have paid more money than they wanted, they did accomplish and they did get the win-win of avoiding litigation. And that's yeah. also important. I mean, I am a, a big fan of mediating early in the right circumstance Absolutely. because, you know, sure. Like we all could go to mediation, like, you know, you know, right before trial, after you've done everything and be spent, but you've at that point, you've spent all this money and mm -hmm. maybe you don't need to do that. Maybe you can do this before, like before taking the depositions or before there, there might be a time early on that like, you know, this might be the case that we get, even if it's pre-suit, you know, maybe we get to mediation before we even file because we know it's going to cost so much money to bring this to the end end game. And maybe we can get it done now. Independent medical exams, depositions, yeah. a discovery, uh, surveillance, uh, checking out the person's social media, uh, checking out the contractor's social media, finding out so many things, you're spending a lot of time doing it. And, and they're important for the mediation process. Uh, you can't come in cold uh, because you may be doing a disservice to the client, regardless of what side you're on. Uh, but you're right. Uh, you save a lot of time and expense. And for claims adjusters, getting that file to close 
allows you to get to the files that aren't right. closed. And that's the claims adjusters work really hard. Yeah. yeah. And they have a lot of files. They have a so. lot of files. <laughs> and so getting those files to close uh, is, is valuable. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So from your perspective, you know, sitting in, in in your shoes, they're standing in your shoes as a mediator. What do you want from the parties to put the put the case in the best position to either get it resolved or get what, what those parties are looking for? One thing I don't want is all the medical records. No, you don't need all those. You're not going to read them. No. I, I, if they give it to me, I'll, I'll go through them. But really a medical summary uh, if you're dealing with an injury case, uh, if you're dealing with other types of cases like family law, uh, you have to know what the assets are. Um, there are all sorts of different areas of law where mediation comes in. You need to have some important information, but I'm going to focus on injuries because that's where my experience is. And it's important to to under if there was a deposition don't give me the transcript give me a summary mm -hmm. what's really important though is a mediation statement yeah knowing where people are at with uh, offers and counter offers demands uh, and the response to the demand if there was any uh, knowing in that mediation statement whether it's from the claims adjuster who's not being represented or from the attorney that they hire. Uh, and it's important then that the claims adjuster give that attorney everything so that the attorney can then turn around and give those things, distill them down to what I need to prepare so that I can do that good job for them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I like that you bring up not the stack of medicals because I mean, sure, you're going to read them because that's your job. You, you're reading the submissions, but it's such not an effective use of your time to have to go through me. and <laughs> to go through and digest it. A lot of times what I will do is I, I will give the mediator it like a, our, our medical chronology. So then mm -hmm. you could just have a snapshot of what you know, the medicals look like. So you don't have to go through all the records. And if there is a medical record that is just, sure, bam, yeah, attach the medical record and highlight the spot, uh, put it in your medical summary. And, and if you really want me to see the exact words uh, written by the doctor, highlight that. Don't make me search through all those things to find those diamonds in the coal mine. <laughs> Right. And like, we've already done that work. So why, why pay, why have the client pay to have someone do it twice? When in reality, we just want to give you the key points you need. What are the injuries? What are the, the major legal issues going on? So you can say, okay, these are the hot topics. Where do these hot topics come into play? And how can we resolve this? Knowing, you know, these are the pluses and minuses. Well, and I would say that adjusters always have that information because they have yeah. to set their reserves, right? right? And it, you can't set a reserve uh, if you don't have the information. Uh, and then also you have to give authority or have authority 
and maybe there's desk authority and you have to go to the next level because this case mm -hmm. is beyond desk authority. Um, and, and having mediation done without authority and without having the person available, I, I always like it when everyone is there. Right. And now it's everyone is here mm -hmm. on uh, virtual mediation, in which case you don't have to step in my shoes because I'm not wearing any shoes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'm, I'm happy you mentioned that there too, because I was going to ask that, that, you know, moving to this more virtual format, mm -hmm. I, I see there are some benefits to it, but in my mind, I think on in the grand scheme, virtual mediations are, are, are less effective than in-person mediations, but I don't know if you feel differently. I uh, I see advantages. Uh, what what they are is different. Mm -hmm. So, uh, for instance, uh, apples and oranges. You don't say uh, apples are better than oranges because they're not the same thing, but they both satisfy you in different ways, uh, and, and so. Uh, In-person mediation provides certain pluses and minuses, which, by the way, in a mediation statement, I'd like to know the strengths and the weaknesses of the case. But there are strengths in in-person mediation and some weaknesses. And there's a case to be made uh, for virtual mediation uh, beyond only having to dress from the waist up for the for the formality of it all uh, and the parties get to be in a familiar space uh, there i'm not going to get into all the pluses and minuses i don't mm -hmm. unless you want me to uh, but i think zoom that's the platform i use is here to stay online mediation is here to stay and uh, so a mediator has to be effective in doing both in-person, mm -hmm. online, phone. I actually had one mediation, one, where it was done with text messaging. That was very strange. The case <laughs> did settle. Uh, and frankly, I think the attorneys could have settled it without me. But for whatever reason, they, they uh, did it that way. But getting back to the question, virtual mediation provides so many advantages and in the right cases, it's good. Uh, especially in highly high conflict cases, having people separated by significant distance beyond a hallway between mm -hmm. two rooms that have doors and in some cases, hopefully the doors have locks. <laughs> uh, so there's, there are advantages, but you're right in person. I love in-person mediation because I, I, I like to be in the presence of other people. I like to see the body language beyond, you know, the yeah. shoulders up. It, that's important. Uh, and then phone mediations, you even lose more. But a mediator has to be effective in whatever platform. And part of being effective is actually educating uh, the parties on how to use it. For instance, at the beginning of the pandemic, 
I had to learn how to use Zoom or I would have no business. So uh, I used uh, LinkedIn to connect with people like Susan Guthrie, who's uh, very uh, good at teaching uh, Zoom uh, and other platforms. Once I got comfortable in using uh, all the features like the breakout rooms and, mm -hmm. and such, uh, I would then tell my regular clients how to use Zoom so that they wouldn't have the frustration or the appearance that they didn't know what they were doing. I wanted to make sure that not only did they know how to use it, but they in turn could then teach okay. their clients how to use it effectively. That's one of the drawbacks of virtual mediation is how to use it mm -hmm. on the various, I mean, sometimes I've got a person using a phone uh, and when they're walking around, you need to know how to uh, not get dizzy. Uh, and, and some uh, some will use uh, iPads, and some will use desktops and laptops, and they you need to be able to tell people how to use the platform. Now, in-person mediations, you don't need much more than the address and the preparation. Uh, so again, uh, preparation is important in virtual mediations preparation includes how to use the platform right uh and all the other stuff that you need for a mediation in general whether it be an in-person mediation or one of the other venues now when during a mediation i mean every i, I found every client is a little bit different um oh. and how how they like to to the mediation to proceed. I, I've had clients that they like. I am merely there as a conduit of the the, the legal and evaluation, but in essence, they they are running the the mediation. They they have money is in their pocket, so they handle it. I have other clients that you know it's you know we we work as a team. I you know I have other ones that they want me to take the front seat. So everyone's a little bit different. Um, do you see on your end, do you see any like negative or advantage to any of those situations or it doesn't matter? Well, the type of mediation I do is facilitative versus evaluative. And sometimes I will end up using evaluative mediation at the end where I make a mediator's proposal to get the case done but the timing of a mediator's proposal and the use of a mediator's proposal is uh it's an art yes to, to do it right uh but i always tell people at the beginning of a mediation that it's it's your mediation it's not my mediation this is your mediation and because i say that i have to take them as they are and I have to let, let that hostility, if there is any, come out so that they can have their day in court, even though they're not in court, uh, but they need to be able to get that stuff out, uh, especially if there's 
high conflict. Right. And then I used the caucus style. Uh, early on, I used to have a joint session at the beginning and then uh, caucus style and then a joint session at the end. There are advantages to doing that. I don't find many in doing it that way. I prefer just having caucus style mediation because then if someone has harsh words, even though they have harsh words, there's a message there. And it's important for the mediator to recognize the message, distill it, and then be a diplomat and then carry that message to the other side yes. to reduce the high conflict nature of those feelings and make them into something a little more palatable. Right. And I agree with that so much because I, I, I personally do not like the joint session and especially having um, initial opening like statements because I feel like no good comes of me telling the plaintiff everything I hate about their case to them. I, I, I think all that does is anger that, that individual and make them feel undervalued and, and it makes it harder to get it done. So I, I personally don't, I, I, if I can just most of times, if I'm like, you know what, I, I will reserve all my statements for when we are in private, because I just, I don't want to piss off the plaintiff. <laughs> Like, like we're here to try to resolve it. I don't want to make it any harder, but well, they do the, have negative points to their case. Well, and the adjusters mm -hmm. and, oh, and the contractors uh, can have some strong feelings about the credibility mm -hmm. uh, or the, or on the other side, what the intentions are. Uh, right. and, and so I don't, need them to make their opening statements to each other. They've already been doing that up to the day of the mediation. Both sides know how the other side feels. I don't, I can't recall a case where both sides didn't know where the other side was coming from. They right. might not know it in detail, right? but they've got a good sense of how each side is approaching the case. So, you know, I'll make money listening to opening statements if they want to, but I don't need the opening statements if they've properly prepared me with the, the summaries and the uh, confidential statement that provides me with all the information that I need. So let's get at it. Uh, let me uh, explain to the clients how this, what, who am I? What is a mediator? Some of these people, this is their first mediation. H how does that work? I always talk about mediation being a journey because uh, on one end, are you kidding me? They think I'm going to pay that much money. <laughs> and on the other end, are you kidding me? This is an insult. Do they right. really think I'm right. going to accept that. And I always tell people, no, no one is expecting the mediation to stop right at the beginning. That's not why the mediation is occurring. It's a journey. And we take it step yeah. by step by step. I do. I, I do love the emotions that go through every mediation and, and without fail, same ones every time. It's mm -hmm. that first step, everyone's offended. And, yes. <laughs> and then, then it's the second step. 
everyone's annoyed that he, they, they didn't move enough in either direction. And then the third step is this is never going to get done. This is a giant waste of our time. <laughs> Somewhere bracketing comes in. <laughs> and, exactly. I, and I think and then the proposal. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it is an art and a science, but I, 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 I kind of chuckle to myself and oftentimes with my adjuster throughout the process, because we, if you're experienced, you, you know, you go through these levels of the process and they you eventually do get there and maybe you don't get there that day. Right. You know, I mean, I've had so many cases that you don't resolve that that day, but, you know, mediators like you keep keep up on it. And, you know, and maybe, a week later it happens or yes. in some cases the mediation comes back in a year mm -hmm. after benefits, another length of benefits have been paid and uh, surveillance and, uh, you know, investigation and all the things that occur during a case's pendency. <laughs> uh, now it's, they are finally in that spot where I want to be done. I just want to be done. And in family law, uh, that's a different process. Right, right. You know. Now, in, in your shoes, though, what do you see as some of um, the biggest roadblocks to getting to that end game? Anger. Mm, yeah. There's anger. no room for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anger. And in family law, I did a a number of family law mediations and i can tell you that you earn every penny <laughs> doing that uh, it, it takes a special type of person to do family law mediations yeah uh, i don't uh care for them well no you you made it very clear early in your career you don't want to do family law so you shouldn't do mediations either <laughs> no i certainly don't uh but there's anger uh, in employer-employee relationships uh, also. Uh, many employers have been hit so many times and occasionally there will be that one case where that person shouldn't have got no yeah. money uh, because guess what? After the case settled, I saw them working for my competitor doing the same stuff that they said they couldn't do. Right before so they they have a jaded view and, and there are claims adjusters too that have a jaded view of cases now most cases in work comp the person gets injured they report the injury they cooperate with the medical treatment and they get back to work and the file gets closed and the claims adjuster administers the claim and those files are probably the majority of a caseload but there are contested claims and there are cases that reach the point where although the, there isn't any sort of litigation the parties just want to be done they want to get out of the system and they want to move on yeah so there's authority on both sides what are you willing what do you want to pay what are you willing to pay and what will you never pay mm -hmm. and the same side the same on the other side what are what do you want what are you willing to take 
and what will you never take? I'd rather stay in the system than accept this <laughs> amount of money. So it, it goes both ways. And it's important for the mediator to get people here. And it's important for the mediator to know what to do when you get here. Because this is where the mediator's proposal turns it into yeah. this. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that looking at it that way, you know, what, what, what do you want to pay or what are you willing, what would you never pay is even important when evaluating a case early on, like on, on my end, you know, cause you, you look at early on, you have a good idea of what they want. You have a good idea of what, you know, what you think it's worth and where you think it will actually get done. At. And typically that range is where you end up wrapping it up at at the mediation, um, you know, a year down the line. That's why I, I, again, I still push this early mediation idea when, when it, the case is right, because early on, you probably have an idea <laughs> of where, where you want to be or mediation, where it will be. Yeah. Mediation can also be a form of discovery, mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily the traditional ideas of discovery and interrogatories and, and, and authorizations to get various records. But you also get to learn, you know, the employer usually knows the employee who's the claimant uh, very well. Mm -hmm. But the claims adjuster and the defense attorney, they might know their clients pretty well, the insured. But they have very little information other than what the insured is saying, which is a type of truth, their truth. Mm -hmm. There is also this truth. And, and in a mediation, you will find out a lot about the other side and get a better idea of how to approach the case after the mediation is over and there is no settlement. Also, the adjuster, maybe, uh, like you say, this attorney is new to them. And they'll find out what type of attorney uh, are they going to be dealing with who's representing the claimant who mm -hmm. they're also dealing with, but now they have to deal with them through an attorney. Yeah. So the, the, there's a lot to be gained from a mediation. And you know, uh, us mediators tend to want cases to settle. Uh, we like to keep track of our settlements and we always feel a little bad about the impasses, <laughs> but you have to realize um, one, it's not your mediation, it's not your settlement, and it's not your impasse. You're doing your job, and if you do it right, the parties are going to get where they're supposed to be. Uh, and if it's a dispute about the law and how it applies to the case, which occasionally happens, then that case isn't going to settle, and it's going to go to the uh, Work Comp Court of Appeals and eventually to the Supreme Court. Uh, that rarely happens, but it does happen. Yeah, that's why there's case law up there. <laughs> yeah, that's why that's why we have case law. Something's <laughs> got to go there. Something's <laughs> gonna go there, and 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 good case law and bad case law, depending on what side you are on on that, uh, gets developed. But you like to see mediations reach settlement because most people think of mediation's purpose as settle the case. 
close the file, get on with your life. But it doesn't have to be that. Yeah. There's still something to be gained. You might come in with good faith intentions of settling the case, but there might be a gap that can't be closed. But you've learned a whole lot along the journey of mediation going down the road. And although you end up on an exit ramp that doesn't get you to your destination uh, and you've hit a pothole and you need to go to the shop, uh, it, you've learned a lot about who you're riding with. Because right. let's face it, they're on this journey together. They might be on opposite sides of the case, but that journey, whether it's to the courtroom or to the rooms provided by uh, whoever's providing the rooms for the mediator uh, and the mediation, you're you're with that person until the case is over. Yeah. In family law, (laughs) there is no life after death. No. There, so, there's just a, a you know there's a, a Gabrielle Hartley has this better apart uh, yeah approach yeah she and, was on I had her on the other week <laughs> oh, that that she's really good I mean Susan Guthrie and Gabrielle Hartley are two uh, really amazing people uh, and uh, now I don't do family law, but there's something to be gained by her approach to a better apart. Uh, right. And, and, and then, of course, Susan's. She's the membership chair for which I'm the vice chair. Uh, and yeah, there's a yeah, lot of, I, both of them. I had, I mean, it was a, a kind of a change of direction having Gabrielle on, but she was such a great, great guest talking about her, her book and, um, I think that the podcast just recently came out for that one, but, um, and that, that, you know, almost the Chris Martin and Gwyneth Paltrow kind of coined this conscious uncoupling, you know, phrase that it's kind of the, you know, the baseline of her whole, her whole, you know, book better and stuff. Apart. Yeah, yeah. Her better apart is really, uh, well, she's got great success with it. Yeah. Um, so I, and I, I, we're almost out of time, but I can't, Really? Wow, that went. Bad. I know, I know. <laughs> it's time flies and you're having fun, but I can't end the end this without bringing up the magic eight ball. So does that just come uh, into play when shit hits the fan and you're like, I don't know, guys, I don't know what we're gonna actually, do. Let's just ask the magic eight ball. <laughs> it's important to know your audience, definitely. <laughs> uh, but let's say that people are pretty happy and uh, you're able to utilize the magic eight ball, which, by the way, is the size of my head yeah it looks looks large (laughs) yeah so if I know the case is going to settle if I know people are there and I just have to make the announcement I'll say oh magic eight ball is this case going to settle and then I'll turn it over and it doesn't matter what it says what I tell them it says is uh all signs point to yes (laughs) and then everyone laughs I don't know if that helps my business and that makes me uh, have some appeal to certain attorneys, uh, but I, I use some cornball humor. I mean, we all appreciate some cornball dad humor, you know, like <laughs> that's it. you need it. I'm a dad. <laughs> yeah, I, I, one of my partners is really good at dad humor. He has the best dad jokes during our um, 
our meetings. So I think everyone appreciates that. Most of them. <laughs> All right, most people. I, get, I, I don't I, want to overly generalize. Yeah, I, I get a lot of eye rolls, especially <laughs> if they've heard it. Certain attorneys have heard it all the time. I used to do this uh, thing uh, with wall drug, uh, comparing the journey uh, uh, of mediation to a trip to wall drug. And <laughs> the attorneys that use me were so sick of hearing about <laughs> wall drug. They'd even tell the client, hey, this guy's going to tell you a story about wall drug. I'm going to step out of the room. <laughs> I've heard this story and I don't want to hear it again. So I finally stopped using wall drug. In fact, I wrote an article uh, for LinkedIn about that whole experience and letting go of things that I thought were clever and really were not so Well, clever. I mean, all good comedians always need to revamp their material. So <laughs> you have to keep working on your act and... Yeah. You have to keep finding and testing new material. Some some material doesn't work. That's why they, you know, they they comedians go to small clubs to see how things work, and then they bring it on their, you know, Netflix special. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I need to. Yeah, that's the other thing mediators need to do. Don't think you've figured out the perfect formula. Mm -hmm. You really have to keep an open mind to changing things and listen listen mm -hmm. to those people you're working with because they'll tell you also in the i do a pre-mediation phone call and i tell them especially if they've never used me before this is what i do is there any part of this you don't want me to use with this particular client or because you don't want me to use that yeah and that's smart i, I actually i don't have many um i don't think i've ever had a pre-mediation call with a mediator. And I think that could be very effective just to even early on being like, look, this has been really contentious or this has not been, you know, just some little key things that you may want to know going in before we even start. Oh, absolutely. There are. Uh, one, I may have questions about the materials that they've sent me mm -hmm. and things that maybe they should consider when going into the mediation. I also want to know a lot more about their clients than the mediation statement has like uh for instance with claimants does this person like fishing mm -hmm. uh do they do quilting are they into uh art i want to know some personal things so that i can build that rapport yeah that's so necessary that trust which is the foundation upon which every successful mediation has to have a person the attorneys their clients all have to trust this mediator because without trust, the opportunity for settlement goes way down. Yeah. Well, I, I ask a lot of my guests this, and this is totally off topic, but sure. you know, you've you've had a career, you know, you had a career as a litigator. Well, you almost had a career as a doctor, <laughs> then you had a career as a litigator really? and now, and now you're a mediator. But if you were to look back, um, as your career as a whole, is there anything that you would change or a different career path you would, you could see, you would love to see yourself in now? Um, I could totally sell cars. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I think you could too. <laughs> my dad, my dad was in the car. My dad was in the car business. So oh, yes. Yeah. He had a few, like, uh, it's a car dealerships. Yeah. It's a skill set. And there again, you have to be able to build rapport, build mm-hmm. trust, because you're not gonna buy a car from someone that you don't trust. No. Although I think it's a little different now. I recently got a new car and I, I just cut the salespeople out of the process altogether. I'm like, this is what I want. I, I'm not coming in there to test drive unless you tell me the price now, your best price. I don't want to get your first price or your second price. I want the real price. You know, attorneys sometimes do that too in a mediation. Look, I'm not here to play around and uh, dance the uh, a thousand veils. Uh, here, here's my authority. Uh, give me your best price. Let's see if we can figure it out. Now, I particularly think that that's a risky method, maybe not with cars, but certainly with mediations uh, on, in this case, work injury cases. But there are attorneys that just want to get right to it. Well, I think there is a time that that works. I wouldn't use a mediation to do that because if that's going to be my approach, then why am I paying someone to, to help along the process? I mean, sometimes if I have a decent relationship with counsel and, you know, and, and I, you know, I have, I'm very comfortable with my, my client. I sometimes can talk to counsel and be like, look, like, let's stop beating around the bush. This is the most where I can get you know, can you get here? You know, let's see what we can do. But I wouldn't waste mediation on that. You know, I think that's kind of a waste of money if you're going to be that straightforward. Unless you need someone to uh, deliver the message or help out with client control, uh, because that's another use of a mediator is to uh, give give them the bad news so that they're (laughs) not the only, that attorney isn't the only one giving them the tour of reality ranch yeah yeah <laughs> i like that tour of reality ranch <laughs> is that at the bar or the club or wherever they were at someone told them about someone else who got two hundred and fifty thousand dollars for their claim in this case is a fifty thousand dollar case you got to yeah. disabuse them of the idea that every case is the same Right. And it's certainly not. We all know that very, very well. Every case is different. Every Amen. case is worth different. Um, well, Elliot, thank you so much for, for coming on. Why don't you um, let our listeners know how they can find you and where they can find you? Well, they can call me uh, 952-240-4005. Uh, my Email address is unfortunately quite long, Herlin Mediation <laughs> Services at Outlook.com. Uh, yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> HerlinMediation.com is my website. Finally, and you have that website up and running so people can find it. Sweet website. Check it out. <laughs> I paid a lot of money for this. <laughs> I need you to check it out. Yeah, he, he need, please, please go to Elliot's website so we can see his traffic increase so he can know yeah. that he, he his money was well spent. And, you know, for, for all our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in this week at The Defense Never Rests. Of course, if you like what you hear, um, please like and subscribe to YouTube, to our channel on YouTube at Legal Navigator, as well as on Apple Podcasts.